Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Unrestricted. I'm your host, Ben Lieber. I hope you guys all had a wonderful week. My very, very special guest this week is a guy that I really admire and respect for the way that he's handled his post-football career. He's done such a fantastic job broadcasting for all sorts of networks. The guy seems to be everywhere all the time. Uh, I've gotten to know this gentleman a little bit more recently because of the NFL Combine. He works for CBS Sports HQ, doing so many great interviews with all the important people in the NFL during the NFL Combine. And then I always ask him to come on Vikings.com to give us his perspective on the NFL draft, some prospects, what team needs are, and all that all that good stuff. But he also works for Fox Sports. You can find him every Saturday on the Big Noon Kickoff Show with Rob Stone, Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, and maybe Urban Meyer is coming back. We'll have to wait and see. But you can hear him every single day on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app on Two Pros and a Couple Joe with LeVar Arrington and Jonas Knox. Those two guys also co-host with him from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern time every single day. As you know, the player I'm talking about and the person I'm talking about is Brady Quinn. Brady played seven years in the NFL, was drafted by the Cleveland Browns in 2007, played a couple years with Denver, the Chiefs, the Jets, the Rams. Uh, But what a prolific college career that he had at Notre Dame. 36 records. He's also number two on the all-time passing charts at Notre Dame. He was an All-American. He won the Johnny Unitas Award and the Maxwell Award. You guys... He was a freaking stud, and I'm just so pumped because uh, he's super busy that he was able to sit down with me. So here he is, everybody, Brady Quinn, the sit-down casual conversation with the man right here on Unrestricted. All right, Brady, I'm going to ask you a question that um, you probably get asked a lot when you do these little Zoom interviews. Of the 10,000 books that you have in the background, which one is your favorite? And have you read all of them? I've not read all of them. Um, I'm not even sure where my favorite book is amongst all of these. Um, I'm not going to say Atlas Shrugged because that's like one of those douchey things people say because it's a really big book. However, I do feel like that provided me a lot of perspective when I was old enough to kind of understand a lot of the lessons um, that are taught in that book. Uh, I personally love A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And that book was recommended to me by Luke Richardson, who I never, you know, he's he's been a strength coach in the NFL for for Jacksonville, for uh, Denver, I think for the Houston Texans. I got to know him when I was training before the combine at at a place called Athletes Performance, now known Mm -hmm. as Exos. And he recommended it then. Um, and I, I remember reading it and thinking, wow. I mean, it's just an incredible tale and story. I shouldn't say even tale, but just the entire story. And I think it, it puts a lot of things in perspective, but it also, um, I think it helps everyone who reads it probably search for their own meaning uh, of what this life is all about. Okay. It's called what again? Because I want to write this thing down. A Man's Search for Meaning Man's by search. Victor Frankel. Okay. Yeah, that sounds really deep. Um, I'm not sure if that's a before bed or on the beach type of book. <laughs> I don't know that it's either, to be honest with you. If you want an easier read right now, one that I love, uh, James Clear, Atomic Habits. And that one's like, I remember when someone gave it to me and I was like, all right, like, do I really want to, do I need to work on my habits? Like, is that one of the biggest weaknesses of my whole like self-improvement that I'm working on? And I started reading and I was like, you know, this can still sharpen you. It can still apply to many things that you already do. Um, even if you feel like you're good at them or it's not a weakness that you're trying to improve on. So uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear, that's another one um, mm-hmm. that I'd recommend right now. And then um, I, I, I'll give this plug because uh, it's, it, I haven't got to it yet, but I'm going to. Uh, Ryan Hawk, AJ Hawk's brother, Pursuit he's of Excellence. A book, he's a book writer? Yeah, he's written a couple books now, but no this kidding. one's pretty, pretty cool. Uh, so I'm excited about reading that one when I can get to it. Dang. So the, so the books behind you actually are not just for show. You actually enjoy reading the books because for the people that, and I don't record the zooms, uh, the video part of it, just the audio. So my audience is not going to see this video. You have a ton of books behind you on your bookshelf, like more books than I probably, it, it looks like a legit school library. 
some of those are from school though. You know, some of those are actual like academic textbooks or things that I needed for school. You know, I, I obviously kept some you from kept my them. What's that? You kept them. I, I, I yeah. Like dude, we we're going to buy them. I was going to give them back. I got them for free. I was on scholarship, man. I was like, yeah, I'm going to keep these with me. You never know. We're going to look them back up or need something. So um, there's, there's some textbooks that I kept along with me. Uh, I, I'm dorky like that. Like a lot of people, probably think I'm a meathead, which I probably am too, but, um, I do appreciate like keeping a lot of those books. Um, so yeah. Well then you're a Renaissance man. You can be equal no. parts. You can be equal parts meathead and equal parts intellectual. Um, yeah, That's I, I okay, guess. Right. I guess. I, I don't know. I, I don't like admitting much of that. I hate sharing like certain personal things, uh, about myself like that. So I always like talking about other people. I think, I think, all of us that have played the game, um, it doesn't even have to be at the at the NFL level, but you know, high high college level. I think somewhere deep down inside, you can all call us meatheads. Yeah. No matter what oh, position. Yeah. No matter what position. I don't care if you're. <laughs> I don't care if you're a kicker or a punter or a long snapper, just the holder. Somewhere in your core and your ethos and your foundation, you're just a little bit of a caveman. You're you're a meathead, and it's okay to admit that. Personally. I mean, I don't want to dive too deep in this, but I do think the world needs it. Like, I, I do think there are certain tasks, and I always say this, like, offensive linemen are the greatest human beings on the planet. They and are. not just because I happen to play or used to play a position where they protected me. It's because just think about their entire job. I mean, at not no point are, should they touch the football. I mean, outside of the center, he's got to snap it. Right. But, and by the way, even then, like, I would never try to blame it on a center, even though I would say 70, 80% of the time it's probably center. <laughs> if, we're, if we're being real, like, now centers might not say that, but like, let's be honest. Those are the guys that are like dripping sweat all over the ball, might be a bad grip. They might miss the spot on the snap, all that. It's not that hard for a quarterback. You're kind of putting your hands in one spot and you're waiting for the football. And if it doesn't hit that right spot, it's, it's yeah. not really on you. Anyway. But back to offensive line, they're the best people on the planet because they play a game that is such a physical toll on their bodies and not even one where they can be overly defensive, right? They're like offensive in nature, um, or I should say they're, they're defensive in nature. They can't really be offensive like a defensive lineman because majority of the time, especially in today's game, they're like working backwards, right? Yeah, Laterally right. or backwards, right? You know, they're not driving off the ball at someone. And um, it's a tough position to be in. When like you don't really get to, to reap the rewards like everyone else gets to with touching the football and scoring and all that. You're working with a group, a unit. You're sacrificing like your body and everything else. Even the stuff like I knew guys who you know had a hard time keeping weight on and watching yeah. them like eat and force feed and that uncomfort. I was just like, good heavens, man. But they're doing this all to play a position to protect me, to help out yeah. our running backs, to help out. I mean, I just, I think they're the best people on the planet. And usually I always feel like they are some of my favorite people to see in the business world when they get out of football. And even if like some lose a bunch of weight, some don't, that doesn't matter to me. It's more of just like, they're like kind of a can do attitude, right? Like they're the guys that kind of come in and like, they, they'll, they'll figure out a way They'll work together with the team. They'll figure out a way of making it work, pushing that ball across the goal line. You know, I, the thing that I love about offensive linemen is they, they embrace uh, and lean into the griminess of their job. Yeah. And, and it, and it kind of permeates through their whole personality. You know, you hear all those stories about, you know, guys pissing on themselves and doing whatever. And, you know, it, and, and they and they don't care. They the, the sloppier, the, the muddier, the the more grimy that they can be. They love it. They yeah. are a little bit like pigs in a pigsty. And they <laughs> and they're the, but they're the best guys. They have the best personalities. They can joke around these. They I don't know. I mean, there's a few guys, obviously there's some fringe guys, but as a whole, they don't take themselves seriously. No. And, and in football, you, you meet a lot of guys that take themselves way too seriously. And I get it. You know, we're all, we're all kind of fighting our own motivations and we're all going in there with, you know, trying to create some sort of edge, whether it's real or fictional. Um, you're, you're going to try to do whatever you can to perform at a high level, but by and large, those guys just, they're just a bunch of jokesters and they don't, yeah. they don't care. Um, yeah. and it's so funny that. What a job, what a life. And we know how many guys you could probably count them on multiple, multiple fingers that, Hey dude, you got to gain weight or you got to keep your weight on. And they 
just get to feast, especially in, <laughs> especially in college when there wasn't, we didn't have like real meal plans. It was right. just like, eat whatever you want. You yeah. know, it's a buffet all the time, 24 seven. Yeah. I mean, it, there's that, uh, there's that paradox though, between like having to put on weight and, and be a certain way and get heavier, get bigger and stronger and all that in order to do their job. But then at the same time, and it was always funny to me, like as you know, this time of year, it's actually appropriate, right? Because you've got a lot of teams that are breaking out their, their mandatory mini camps. So they have a six week break off in the NFL, you know, back when teams used to do 300 yard shuttles for the shuttle test, it's like, well, they got to gain weight, but then they have to be able to make this time. That's like completely unrealistic to their job, right? Like when are they ever going to have to run gasses back and forth for a total of 300 yards and do that either back to back or back to back to back, right? Like that was usually the test. And I remember thinking to myself, this is so dumb. Why are we making these guys do this? Like they just need to be able to play their position in six, seven second bursts. They don't need to be able to run 300 yards at any given point in time in a game. So why are we making them do that? And yet we're asking them to put on more weight in order to be able to do their job. So we're making it, we're making this portion of their whole conditioning test that much harder for them. But I, I do. Uh, I always enjoyed the line. I mean, you got to play with John Sullivan, who's all time. Oh yeah. One of my like favorite people, players, person ever. And, and I'd like, you know, I don't know if he told you if he pissed his pants or not, because he played center for, you know, with me and I played quarterback. So we had gold <laughs> pants. So it'd probably be easy to hide. So I'd love to not know if he said anything, but uh, that, uh, yeah, he's, he's one of the first that comes to mind though, as far as a guy just that just like, you know, when he cleans up, he cleans up. It's good looking. Oh, man. oh yeah. He's, he's the type that um, just grimy, gritty, just, you know, whatever, wherever you need to do to get the job done. Oh yeah. Don't get, don't confuse the two because he is, he is equal parts grimy and he's equal parts of Greenwich, Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has no problem. No problem. Cleaning up, looking dapper, looking, yeah. looking all Greenwich talking yeah. about his brothers on wall street. Um, I mean, kind of similar to you. I bet you that he has read all those books that that you have mentioned. He's a smart dude, man. He's very I, smart. I was blown away. That's the other thing about offense alignment, where we're really giving offense alignment a lot of love, but um, especially the centers, they're smart as hell. Yeah. Every center I've ever played with, they are smart. Nick yeah. Hardwick, super smart. Matt Burke, super smart. I played with Soli with the Vikings, super smart. Yeah. You know, like all of these guys are just you know, and they have to be, they got to break down the defenses. They got to make all the calls, all this stuff. They got to be very cerebral. Um, but they're, they're deep thinkers, man. You know why? I mean, Solomon was for me in college, got in the NFL, Hank Fraley, you know, with the Cleveland yeah, Browns, yeah, same. long time vet, you know, now coaching the NFL. He was super smart, uh, understanding the game, understanding what to expect. JD Walton, when we got to, to Denver, you know, he, you know, ended up playing that position. Russ Hoekstein kind of mixed in as an interior player guard center at times. I mean, same thing, just, Really, really, really smart guys um, that that I was fortunate enough to kind of be around. Nick Mangold uh, being at the Jets, I mean, yeah. super, super smart guy. So it is funny. I mean, it, it's but they, but again, like going back to the initial point, like they're what makes the world go round to me. Like they're they're the guys who do, who do do jobs and do the job in the NFL. That yes, you know, they're starting to be more handsomely you know paid or compensated for it. Um, but you know, they're doing the job that like no one else either can do because they don't have the physical traits or ability. Uh, or wants to do. And, and that's, that's one of the neatest things to me is, and then they don't receive as much appreciation or attention for what they do, which to me makes it that much more special. Cause we live in an era in a world right now where every time someone does something, they want to make sure everyone knows about it. you like, and I think honestly, like the gambling industry is probably the worst. Like, I don't know if you have friends like this, but I mean, I, I don't know about you. Anyone I know that gambles apparently never loses. Cause oh, yeah, I they never, only win. Right. I never hear about them losing any bets. Oh, for sure. Well, I think Floyd Mayweather is the, the top of the heap of that with all that. You don't think that he's lost hundreds of thousands of dollars on a bet. We yeah. don't know that because he only posts his winning ticket sitting yep. on top of his Maserati. Yeah. I, I think Phil Mickelson's the only one that we can assuredly say right now, given the current news, yeah. Yeah. that he's, he's lost a lot of money gambling. Yeah, yeah. Mickelson, Barkley. <laughs> I don't think Barkley cares, though. He's no. like, whatever. I've lost, I lost a million dollars on the golf course today. Who cares? I'll make another. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah you know what's funny about uh talking about the offense alignment it's weird on defense though you know they have the saying the further you get away from the ball the smarter you have to be but i would almost say in, on offense it's almost 
sort of the opposite. The closer you are to the ball, the smarter you have to be on offense. Because look, centers, super smart. Most of the offensive linemen, the, gu the guards that I've known are pretty smart. Um, obviously, quarterbacks have to be super smart. Mm -hmm. Receivers, I don't know. You probably could tell me more about that than, than I would know. But do they really have to know everything that's going on or just, just some coverages and stuff like that? Break down a little bit of the blitz package. But on defense, we get a lot of the knuckleheads that put their hand on the ground. I mean, they, yeah. are, they, are, they are straight from... Uh, the Paleolithic era, and they just put their hand on the ground. They get off when the ball is snapped, and they go to the ball. That's it. Yep. They they hear our defensive call, and they don't even care about the rest of it. They're like, okay, over. I don't hear a blitz. Cool. I know where to line up. <laughs> <laughs> Under front. Okay, cool. No blitz. I know where to line up. By and large, I remember my third year in the league, Eric Mangini did this. We're one day in camp, or maybe it was a couple. I can't remember how we structured it, but he had the offense go to defense, defense goes to the offense. Now the quarterbacks got to stay. And the whole point or lesson was that he wanted everyone to see the, from the perspective of the other side of the ball. And now most guys at some point had played, but they obviously it was like high school, maybe college, right? So when you did it at like a professional level, you realized a couple of things. The first was the defensive players were so athletic. I mean, way more athletic than what you had on offense. Like that was very apparent just watching the move and watching how they cut and run their routes, for example, or even how the defensive linemen who are now offensive linemen, how they would move and like block. You're like, wow. I mean, these guys are tremendous athletes, but the other thing is that they were used to a much more simple playbook because you can only do so much. And there's like, you know, they're out there used to kind of reacting like, yeah, you've got a call, you've got your assignment, but now you're kind of reacting once, you know, the, the wall's thrown, you know, the, the running back breaks the line of scrimmage. And, and on offense, it's entirely different. It's like, okay, I got to pay attention to what they're doing. What, what's the snap count again? Or am I supposed to be motioning? Am I on the line? Am I off the line as a wide receiver? There's all these things that you could see where they're like going through the head. And they're like, yeah, I can't play as fast playing on offense as I can on defense, given everything that's on my plate. So those are probably the, the two biggest revelations that came from that activity. Do you remember some of your offensive play calls? I'm sure you've got to yeah. have some. Yeah. I mean, the hard thing was, I got to the point where I played so many different offenses. It was more of like, yeah, you could call um, like green, right. How to uh, go, you know, Y, Y cross Y over, which would be the same as saying zero ride one thirty four go. Right. Like you got to the point where you could like say the same exact thing, the same exact play, uh, whether it's West coast or, you know, what I knew from Charlie Weiss with that new England Patriot system or, you know, three digit system, which came from kind of Don Coriel and that whole, that whole, you know, system coming from that. You got to the point where you're like, you're, it's all the same stuff. Like it was literally all the same stuff. You were just saying it with different words. What did you feel like you were most comfortable in the number system or a West coast coding system? You know, I really liked, it was hard because I, I went to college and I first got introduced to Ty Willingham who came from Denny green and he used a West coast system. And so there were some parts that made sense some that was more memorization based. The one thing I loved about the New England system was every, it was like stacking. Everything mm. built off something else. And there was memorization to it. But once you knew, for example, the formations, like any even number was a right-handed formation, any odd numbers left-handed. All right, that's pretty easy. Once you understood like the picture in your head of like I right or green right was zero. Um, and so it actually, like there was ways in which it actually, you could say a lot with saying little, um, even though the, the, the play calls did get very wordy at times, there, but it, it, everything, everything meant something to someone. It wasn't mm -hmm. like you just had words in there when it didn't matter. Right. And there were some offensive systems that I remember being in the NFL, for example, coming from Daryl Bevel system with the Seattle Seahawks to the New York Jets system with Marty Morningwig. I was like, Oh, we're putting like words back in that like Daryl Bevel would take out because he's like, yeah, we don't need this, right? Like this is unnecessary or, or we're being redundant. Like this word already tells us something or right. this protection already tells us that, right? So <clears throat> that was more of, I think the biggest adjustment for me was um, probably the discrepancy in, in West Coast because there was more uh, similarities or carryover at times, but that New England system to me was always my favorite. That was the one that just, it, it kind of stuck for me more in my head. It made more sense to me. Quarterback had so much control 
And there was always an answer for something. You know, it was really a quarterback-friendly offense. And I had great teachers, right, with Charlie yeah. Weiss to begin, yeah. Josh McDaniels, guys like that are just brilliant uh, as offensive play calls. Brian Dable uh, as well, who, who runs that same system now in with the New York Giants. Yeah, it's, it's so funny how I've played in a number of defensive systems. Now, it's, nev it's never been quite as wordy. You know, we have yeah. very, as you know, very simple, simple play calls and very simple terms because so much of what we do is reactive. You know, we, you know, we can, we can set a base front and we can have a blitz called on all that stuff, but we still just have to react to what you guys are doing. Um, but I just, I find it so fascinating that if you keep football simple on both sides of the ball, that you're, that's going to allow your players to play the fastest. But for whatever reason, these coaches get in there and they feel like they got to make things complicated. Like that, that is the one thing that I really, really enjoyed about playing under Wade Phillips and his three, four system was he kept everything so simple. If you were blitzing, he would, the, your position name would be in the call. So if it was like Sam will one, we know that the Sam and will are blitzing and we're playing one coverage behind it. It's that simple. There's right. no special code words. There's no, there's no dragon, right? I'm like, well, well, what the hell's dragon, right? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, dragon is this. And, oh, it's got an assimilation and some sort of relationship to that and this. And it's a fire blitz because a dragon's brief. Like, no, it's just like your name is your position is called in the play. You're blitzing. That's it. And it's one coverage behind <laughs> single high safety. We're playing right. one, you know, just keep it simple. But everybody wants to muddy it up. I think that's probably where coaches feel like they add value, you know, and, and in all honesty, there, there are some times when, you know, you could see a, a schematic advantage, you know, based on adjustments, but that usually happens in game. Um, and it's usually able, able to kind of see some of the things that either aren't working or that, you know, maybe you can utilize or get to, but mm -hmm. I, I kind of tend to agree. I mean, I, I think the, the, it's, it's one of two things. You either have to have a play caller who's really good at, knowing who he's going up against, understanding the mashups that he's trying to get to and how to get to them, and then being able to put those players in a position to win. Or you have to have a system that allows your quarterback to make those changes and get you to some of those spots. Because I, I do think there's a fair amount of offensive football that as good and as talented as some players are, uh, Tyreek Hill, for example, who's probably the fastest player in the league or at least close to it. Mm -hmm. You know, there still is some brilliance to Andy Reid's play calling and you know, how him and Eric Bieniemy kind of go about putting things together to scheme up Tyreek Hill to get open, right? There's still brilliance of Patrick Mahomes manipulating the defense with his eyes or buying time to allow him to get open, which has nothing to do with the coaching staff, but all those things they can then play with, you know, within, a, within another play. So um, I, I definitely think there's some times where like coaches overthink stuff. There's no doubt about it. And especially with the way they create calls or words or concepts, but there is a fair amount, at least on the offensive side of the ball, uh, of an advantage that can take place. You know, I think it's very apparent between the best play callers in the NFL and the teams that don't have as good a play callers. Now, and you can and you could probably say, well, you know, Kansas City, all right, they've got a great quarterback, right? Or, you know, Brian Dable is viewed as one of the best. That's why he's got a head coach job in Buffalo. Well, he's got Josh Allen, you know, or, or whoever you want to throw in that conversation, right? Uh, you know, LaFleur up in Green Bay and having Aaron Rodgers, like, you can, you can say all those things, but the truth of the matter is like, you know, Josh McDaniels will show you too now out in Las Vegas, like he's a good play caller. Their offense will be able to put up a lot of points too with Derek Carr and Devonta Adams and the rest of the you know, playmakers they have. Yeah. I'm sure you've gotten asked this question before too, but in your, in your best way possible, because I think the position that you played as a quarterback is so fascinating. It's unlike any position and unlike any, any spot in any professional sport. Um, how do you best explain what a quarterback has to go through on the snap of the ball? Yeah. Snap of the ball, you drop back, you don't have much time to process. You know, no. like, is there any way that you can sort of build that, that assimilation to what other people have to go through in their normal lives? Like, is there an analogy that you like to use? I think it, it really comes down to your preparation before that play, the ball's ever snapped. Like, it... it like your ability to be able to function and execute is, is everything you do to prepare for that week. So in those two seconds, three seconds that you have, you are able to make the best possible decision 
with that football and then execute that, that job as well. Like there's two trains of thought to it. You can go to the right place. You could be on time, you know, right place with the football, but the football can be off. Right. Or someone else might've messed up where, you know, they're not where they they're supposed to be or et cetera. So there's a lot of things that I think can impact your play as a quarterback. And so you, it's really about to me, your preparation before you ever get to the game, before you ever get to the line of scrimmage to, to the snap of the football, I mean, I would say it starts in the huddle. I mean, I don't know. We don't huddle all the time anymore, at least at the college level. But at the NFL level, one of the things that I love about the huddle was you are selling the play. Like there are times when you see it in a guy's eyes because you're looking at them. Yeah. They hear a play call and they're like, oh, geez. Like that's not coming to me or this isn't what we should be doing. And you are selling that play call. There's times when you say play call in the huddle and the guy doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing. (laughs) And you're like, hey, remember you've got this we talked about it we ran this on thursday you gotta you know look for this and this is how you're gonna run the route you know or, or hey look for them to roll and if they, they stem down that means they're bringing this blitz so <clears throat> those conversations happen and it's like that moment where you can take all that preparation and be a salesman but also you know make sure that you're, you're working with everyone to make sure they understand their jobs and what they're being asked to do when you break the huddle now you're like you know, you're like a scout almost. You're out there kind of gaining all the data and information you can. You know, what's the front? Uh, what are the safeties doing? What's the coverage? Are they pressed? Are they off on the outside? You know, is, is if I'm in a, you know, two-by-two two set, am I watching the slot? Does he look like he's a potential threat to blitz or not? Do I need to change the protection? We're talking to the offensive lineman about what's going on. You're maybe shifting your motioning. There's all those things. And so you really have to understand what your protocol is. Right. Like, like any other job, like I think the one thing about quarterback play that's so applicable to anything else you do in your life is whatever the job you have, there's probably a protocol that you're going to go through. Mm. It's, it's almost like data sequencing or however you want to describe it, where you literally have a checklist of things before the snap that you're making sure in order before you're then getting that football and the play starts. And then once the play starts, now you're really just confirming your intuitions or you know, your pre-snap read, if you will, of what you thought after the snap of the football. And it's at that point in time, you're either in that first three steps from center, confirming what you thought it was, or it's something else. And now you're adjusting to that. And I think the best players, typically, they're not reacting. They've got a plan in their head. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like a batter sitting up there. And he's, he's you know, you're, you got a pitcher who's throwing close to 100 miles an hour. So you're really thinking fastball first, you know, off speed, probably taking it off, you know, to, to the opposite field. Right. It, it's almost like that. Like you, you kind of have to be ready after that first three, the first three steps of your drop to where, if it's not what you thought it was, if it's not a fastball, now you're adjusting to the off speed or whatever that curveball is. And, and you better figure out what to do with the football in those next two seconds. Otherwise you're sacked or you got to get out of the pocket. Unrestricted is proud to partner with Jack's Cafe, an iconic Minneapolis steakhouse family owned since 1933. That's four generations of Minnesotans who have made their memories at Jack's Cafe. If you're looking for a date night, a family night, happy hour, a place to eat and drink before or after a game, or just a boozy weekend brunch, head on over to Jack's Cafe in Northeast Minneapolis. Need something more private? Well, Jack's has five private dining spaces for groups ranging from 25 people all the way to 250 people, and you have to see their new outdoor dining space. Rain or shine, it's the freshest new outdoor hangout spot. Just make sure to bring your appetite. This original steakhouse has all the essentials. Steaks, chops, ribs, their famous prime rib. But if you're in the mood for fish and seafood, well, Jax has you covered. Take your pick of fresh lobster right from the live lobster tank. And Jax has a one-of-a-kind trout stream right in the backyard. Yep, you want fresh trout? You can hand-select and net the trout that you want. I guarantee you've never tasted something more fresh. So make your way to Jack's Cafe and check them out at jackscafe.com. That's J-A-X-C-A-F-E.com. An original steakhouse serving steaks, not trends. No matter how many times that I would be in practice and I'd stand behind the offense whenever we were taking a break or something, even at the end of my career, I would watch the quarterbacks operate and I would still say, I don't know how they do it. You know, I don't, I don't know how you guys would get the ball in the pocket. And I'm saying after, after the ball is snapped and have all that chaos around you, that's happening a few feet around you and then collapsing, you know, it's, it's your protections collapsing. Your security is collapsing. 
And then you still have to make the decision on a linebacker that's buzzing out to the flat, you know, somebody that's going to, you know, jump under the, the hook of this route. You may, your instincts may be correct that I got the coverage that I thought it was going to be. My receiver recognizes the right coverage. He's running the right route, but yet now I got it. Now I'm feeling the heat of the pocket collapsing and I'm going to get hit and then still execute the play all in going back to what you said, put a stopwatch on it, people. It's about three seconds, you know, <laughs> and to do all that in three seconds, I still am just so fascinated by how you guys do it. Cause it's, I, my brain doesn't process, I guess that quickly. And, you know, obviously I had to process somewhat quickly to, to, to play linebacker and to make calls, but I didn't have five offensive linemen that were protecting me in a, in five or sometimes six guys that want to rip my head off, you know, right. bearing down on me. Yeah. Well, it might be one offensive lineman or two, maybe or climbing up to get you, but I, I always, I always say this. I feel like boxing was one of the best cross training activities I ever did to prepare me for playing quarterback because of the crossover in like kind of thought process. And you're kind of like, what do you mean? Um, when you step into a ring, there's one thing that you have to acknowledge right away. I'm going to get punched. I'm going to get hit. And there is a bit of like, I think with most quarterbacks and especially young, young kids, because nowadays we wait so long to get them into contact. And that was something where like, I played contact football or tackle football since I was in third grade. Mm -hmm. And so I got over that really quick at a young age of understanding that I was going to get hit. Now, even at the NFL level, there's still that adrenaline that you get going and it helps sometimes to kind of get hit and kind of allow it to, to like calm down and settle down. And I think that's probably applicable with boxing or UFC where those guys will tell you too, like once you settle into a fight, it's usually after the first couple of rounds, once you took a shot or two. Mm -hmm. um, but to the boxing analogy, it, it's like that with quarterback play. I think once you, you kind of take that hit and once you kind of get a feel for what that day is going to be like, because every day is different. Sometimes you're going up against the best pass rush in the league. Mm -hmm. You got some future hall of famers across from you and some days you're not. And sometimes you might have a little more time or sometimes you got some, you know, mixed parts up front and, and you might have some issues up front. And so you have to be cognizant of all those things, but you can't allow it to ultimately, you know, change your job and, and your ability to deliver in those moments. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing where I, I kind of go back to boxing. Like your whole goal is to knock out the other guy, you know, as a quarterback, your whole goal is to go, throw that big overhand right, which is a big play, a big shot downfield, just because my right guard whiffed and I, now I've got to move in the pocket and keep my eyes downfield and maybe while a guy's hanging on me, make a throw, that's just part of your job. That's what it entails. And so if that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. So I, I just think it's usually the physical element that most assistant young quarterbacks have to get over of understanding like you're going to get hit. And, and I think once you cope with that and once you're yeah. like, okay, that's just part of the deal then everything else becomes a lot easier because you're, you're so then you stop, you, you stop, you stop looking at what's in front of you and you start looking over and saying, okay, this guy's coming open here. And, and like, and you're not even paying attention to it. Now you're just kind of naturally feeling it. And, and then as the guy's coming to hit you, you just kind of go to flick the football out to a spot where you feel like you can get to. So it's, yeah. it takes training. It takes practice, but I also feel like it's, it's a mental hurdle that you have to get over as a younger quarterback that um, your job is predicated on getting hit and then getting back up, delivering another throw and another throw and another throw. That's just part of the job. Yeah. I guess just accepting it, accepting it for what it is like, all right, yeah. I'm, well, I'm, I'm it, going to get hit on every play. Probably. It's like, it's like traffic, right? Like I, I always say to people when they go out in rush hour, it's like, what do you expect? Like, why would you get in road rage or why would you get frustrated when you know what to expect? It's rush hour. You're going yeah. to be in traffic. Like yeah. expect the, it's the expected prepare for the unexpected, but that's, that's kind of quarterback's play, right? Like, like you're gonna, you're, there's a lot of things that you can foresee coming or, and you know, that end up impacting how you play or how you perform. Those can't be things you focus on. You have to focus on what's past that. And, and, and that's where I feel like it's, it's kind of applicable in that way, I guess, and making a good decision in three seconds. Yeah. Now you cover, you cover all of football. You cover college football. You cover the NFL. Um, you've seen a ton. Wh which of the two is most enjoyable for you? I'm going to put you on the spot. You, do you enjoy the college game more or the NFL or vice versa? It's a loaded question because at, at the bare bones of the essence of football, 
the NFL is more fun to prepare for. It's more fun to watch because it's at such a different level from a scheme standpoint. It's like, it's, it's really fun to watch some of that. Now there are, there is some of that at the college football level. It's just not as, as widely accepted. Um, I will say this. I don't think the NFL atmosphere can compare even close to the college atmosphere. No, it's entirely different. Like, the and everything and, and and i've got people working the nfl who are like oh boohoo who cares about tradition it's like well you know that's probably because your your college stunk you yeah, know like right. that, 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 it's probably because you didn't have a tradition or your team wasn't very good um because i think anyone who's been around the game of college football it's fun it's young you've got a bunch of college kids most of the kids aren't playing the nfl after this you got the student section they're doing their thing these traditions the band the everything that goes along with it and it's just such a different experience. And so I, I think college football is more enjoyable when you're there, when you're in it, and when you're a part of it. I think NFL is more fun to prepare for, if that answers your question. Yeah. So I hope it probably sounds like a hedge, but I think that's how yeah, I Of course you're it. hedging. Of course. Yeah. You've got you've got a hedge. I mean, you got you have <laughs> you have jobs to protect. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know that me saying anything right now. It's overly controversial. Would uh, would would get me fired? I don't I, know. You went yeah. viral what last week? Was I it, don't know. Was, was the it, Jets comment? Yeah, the Jets comment. Yeah, the first. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I don't know what time of day it was. I saw it on on Twitter or something like that. I'm like, oh, look at you causing some a little dust up, oh, a little controversy. I mean, huh? Okay, do you have the Jets? Do you have the Jets' first nine games of this season up in front of you? No, you, but I, you, I saw the I saw the article and I can pull I can pull it up real quick. Here, you pulled up and, then I, and I'll go through what I recall. Okay, so the Jets' first nine games, they their first four are against the AFC North. Which, look, I I played in the AFC North. I have a lot of respect for all of those teams. Uh, that I, I feel like every one of those rosters is a better roster than the New York Jets. Now the Jets' roster has improved. Yeah, but it's not better than any of those teams I just mentioned. One of which, by the way, one the AFC and played in the Super Bowl this past year. So yeah. it, it's it's not that far-fetched to go, okay, they could go over to the AFC North. Now, a lot goes into that. Is Deshaun Watson there for the Browns? Probably not the way that looks. Um, who's starting for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Even then, you got to deal with that defense. And I do think the offense will be improved, whether it's Mitch Trubisky starting uh, or you're looking at Kenny Pickett, whatever the case may be, they'll still be pretty good. Um, but then look at the rest of it. I'm not picking the Jets against – Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. So let's, so let's just go through it right now because okay. you are right. Like, it's funny that after I read the article, it wasn't as if it was a super, you know, scorching take, you know, when you no. look at, when you look at their schedule, I mean, you're a hundred percent correct. It wasn't like you're going out on a limb and you just like, you've got something against the jets. So let's go through this. They're, okay. they're at home. They're at home against the Ravens to start the season on September 11th. Then they oh, go, they, they so go probably a loss. Yeah. Loss. Okay. They go to Cleveland. Now we don't know who's going to be starting quarterback and all that situation, but the team's just better. The roster's just better. I mean, they could run, yeah. they might run for 300 yards again, and that's all they do. They might not throw another, they might not throw a pass in that game. Um, then they have Cincinnati at home. Okay. They were just in the Super Bowl. They go to Pittsburgh. Like you're saying, maybe that doesn't matter who's starting at quarterback. They're playing at Pittsburgh at Heinz field. Then they have the Dolphins at Dolphins. home, which Dolphins which, are going to be a tough out. The Dolphins, great roster. I'd say that's their, that's their probably probably first more winnable game, I guess, maybe. Familiar with the opponent and, like, who knows with Tua and new coaching staff. But but even that, like, it's a divisional game. It's a tough game with considering – I think the Dolphins roster is more talented. Sorry. So let's just keep going because yeah. it does not get easier from here. No, it doesn't. So then they go they go back-to-back -back road games at Lambeau and then at Mile High. Are they so, winning any of those games? Nope. They're not going to, they're not going to be at Russell Wilson, especially at that point in time in the season when they, he's kind of gotten his feet underneath of him uh, at the new place. Then they, then they host the Patriots and then they host the bills. I mean, so all I said was, all I said was their season will be over before the bye because their bye comes after that nine game stretch, Yeah, which apparently people think is a hot take. It's not. And I, and the only other thing I said that I think frustrated people is if, if they're a, let's just say they're two and seven, one and eight. Now I do think their schedule lightens up in the second half. They could end up being a five win team, maybe six win team. Right. So they're winning a decent amount of their games in the second half of the season. But even then you're going to be a striking distance of 
Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Will Levis, Tyler Van Dyke out of Miami, a couple of the guys we probably haven't, I'm not mentioning or that will emerge. And all, so all I'm saying is like, you're right back there at square run one after two years of seeing Zach Wilson and two unsuccessful seasons. And here's the truth. It's not all on Zach Wilson, whether it's his fault or not. It's just the circumstances that the jets are going to find themselves in. And if they've got a guy that they feel like is a better talent than Zach Wilson, and they can go that route. We've seen teams do that for like the Arizona Cardinals after one year with Josh Rose and move on to Kyler Murray. Why would they contemplate that? You yeah. know, why would they go that route? Yeah, no, not yeah. It's just, it's funny to me because you're, you are correct. And it will not to turn this into jets radio, but it's funny that, uh, even after the buy, they go, they go to the Patriots. So they're not going to win that one. Now they have Chicago at home and then they, they play at our place here in Minnesota. So they're not going to win that one. Then they go to Buffalo. Then they've got Detroit and look, Detroit could be another surprise team. I am, right. I, I am strong on Detroit. I hate to say that just because we're in the same division, but I like what Dan Campbell's doing. You can yeah. see, you can actually see a flicker and a glimmer of hope with that team. Barring some injuries, what they've they've dealt with some awful injuries the last couple of years. Then they got Jacksonville late in the season with dude, that coaching staff is a fantastic coaching staff with a super talented quarterback. So right. who knows what's going to happen at the end of the season? Jacksonville could be rolling. Then they go to Seattle, long road trip. I don't know. Seattle might be terrible too. But um, and then they go to Miami to finish the season. They might win three games after the bye. And, 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 what, and what are we saying? They win, they beat Cleveland without Deshaun Watson. Maybe they beat Pittsburgh or Miami. So you're getting a couple. I mean, that, that's what's weird to me is so many people have this like visceral reaction. I'm like, sorry, I'm just, it has nothing to do with what they've built. Like they've got a better roster than what it was last year. I, I think Zach Wilson played better football in the second half of the season. I think he'll be better this year. I think it's the point that you, you did hammer him pretty hard. You're like, I am not a believer in Zach Wilson. Well, I, I wasn't a believer in, in him when he was coming out. Like, I didn't have him ranked as high, obviously, as other people that took either, him. Yeah. And, and I kind of looked at a lot of the tape and even his earlier tape and just was kind of like, well, they're playing against an all-group of five schedule. He has all day to throw. We're talking about throwing into tight windows. Some of those throws are late, and some of those throws were kind of thrown up where they're 50-50 balls, and his wide receiver is coming down with it. So I kind of looked at it and go, I, I'm not really sure what to expect out of him, but – He's not the biggest guy, and he's obviously put on a bunch of weight this offseason. They've talked about that because he's, you know, not as it doesn't have as big of a frame, so that's a concern. Um, and and I think at times he struggled to see the field. And there was times you saw that coming out. So I, there's nothing that's changed in my opinion on it, you know. And and really, it's not that he won't be able to make it or it's not going to work out. It's the fact that he was put into a situation with the Jets that is so hard to overcome. Yeah. It's so hard to overcome. I mean, even if you're Patrick Mahomes, like we tend to forget, Patrick Mahomes, as talented as he is, sat behind the consummate pro in Alex Smith mm-hmm. and was in a system where he wasn't thrusted in. He got to watch for 15 games that season until he played the last game of, of that, what, week 17. You know, you got to start and play. And then he segued in the starting job that next year wins MVP. But he's with Andy Reid. He's with these talent, this talented roster. Like, it's not like it happened, you know, overnight or that he had to like turn this whole thing around. It was already built to have him go and just take it to the next level. And that's what he was able to do. I think this sort of turnaround is much more difficult than anyone realizes. And so it's, it's not even so much that has to do with Zach Wilson as a player. It's just everything that I think that that organization uh, needs to do to turn this thing around is going to take a lot longer. And they're going to have to make a decision on him between now and then. And they might be in position to take another guy yeah. Who might be more talented. Yeah. No, I was kind of with you on that. I shared the same, the same theory and the same thought process coming out of the draft. I think everybody, as much as I, I love Trevor Lawrence, I, I, you know, did kind of reluctantly put him number one in that draft class, but I even said here locally, I'm like, I think Mac Jones is two a, like, I think, I think between he and, and Justin Fields, who I, I thought was a, a better, a better pocket passer than people thought. Yeah. Um, it hasn't really materialized yet. I and mean, that, that again, maybe just, he may be a victim of circumstance in that situation, but I thought he was a better pocket passer and did a better job with his eyes than people really thought. So I kind of put him at two B. Um, I did not, I did not love Trey Lance. I did yeah. not like Zach Wilson and, and look at Trey Lance's situation. They're keeping Garoppolo. They're keeping him. Garoppolo is probably going to be their starting quarterback again. 
which is going to be a weird situation. It is going to be weird to see how that plays out only because I don't know that. Um, I mean, they, it, it seems like the 49ers are adamant that Trey is going to be the guy. And if they keep him, then, but you'd have to say to yourself, well, Jimmy's probably better suited to get you to a Super Bowl if you feel like you have a legitimate shot. He's already taken you to one. And I feel like their roster is in a really good point when healthy right now. So it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. I, I still think there's, there's, there's Seattle, there's, Carolina, there's teams who probably feel like Jimmy G healthy would be an upgrade mm-hmm. and they want to make those moves. I mean, I don't know if Houston's a player or not, you know, maybe they feel like they'd rather see what they have in Davis mills than go back to the draft next year. Um, Cause they'll have the capital to do that, but it's, it's really, it's really interesting to, to see where, you know, Jimmy G could end up. Uh, I, I, I thought for a second, he might find his way to Indianapolis. That didn't work out. Yeah. Obviously Matt Ryan's there, but I mean, even Atlanta, I mean, I know they're talking glowingly about Desmond Ritter, but wasn't drafted that high. And, and I don't think Marcus Mariota, given what he's being compensated, is going to be the answer for the season. So there's a number of teams out that I, that I think still could be in the market, whether it's for Baker Mayfield and Cleveland or even Jimmy G, depending on, you know, how they figure out Baker Mayfield's contract and who pays for the majority of that thing or uh, with Jimmy G, who, who wants to try to maybe contend and, and bring in a guy who's going to have to come in right away and learn a system quick and be able to turn around yeah. quick into winning games. I don't know, man. I'll put a, I'll, I'm going to stick to my guns and think that Jimmy G is going to be on the roster. He'll be the starting quarterback. And this is kind of going off. You and you and I will see each other at the combine every year. And I'm sure you hear things too. I was told they are not happy with Trey Lance's development in San Francisco. And Shanahan is, was pissed at his offensive staff for convincing him that they should take Trey Lance. Um, which is a large reason why, um, when when McDaniel was getting courted, they was like, go, go ahead and take the whole staff. I don't care. I'm going to start over. I guess <laughs> the bottom line is, I guess Shanahan is not happy with the way things worked out. And um, I think he's got a talented roster that I don't think he wants to put in the hands of a guy that's not not ready to go at quarterback. And I don't know, man, I'll uh, I'll, I'll I'll die on that hill right now as we're you know when- mid, mid June that he's going to be the starting quarterback. Wouldn't you think, though, publicly he'd try to patch some things up? I mean, I, I know it, it, they made it sound like Jimmy G kind of went off on his own and, and wanted to go rehab and wanted to go get surgery and wanted to do all this really without informing them. Like, that was kind of the odd thing. But uh, it seemed pretty apparent to me, at least what John Lynch and Kyle Shannon have said publicly, like, that's the direction they're going. They're going with Trey Lance. Like, I think if, if they were trying to make, make up or play nice, they would – probably sound like they're walking on eggshells a little bit more. It seems like they've been more definitive um, yeah. with the direction that they're going. So it'll be, I'll be curious to see how it plays out. Yeah. I mean, it's the NFL and anything can happen. Like yeah. we see crazy stuff happen. I still, I still harken back to the Eagles and in Wentz's rookie year, who remember he barely played, he barely played his rookie uh, preseason. And because of the Teddy Bridgewater torn ACL, they trade Bradford immediately. Mm-hmm. Wentz goes in, has like the greatest three games ever for like a rookie quarterback, basically before that early bye. They beat Pittsburgh, I think, within that. So they're calling like the entire state Wentzylvania. And that like set the tone for like, all right, like he's just going to get an extension. It was, it was like weird how that almost like put pressure on the organization right away where like then people stopped watching after that to kind of see like, all right, like, is it the injury history or is there more there? Are there other issues with this game right now um, that we're seeing that maybe we need to acknowledge, or maybe we shouldn't give an extension, or maybe we should be more, you know, more open about, you know, what we're, what we're looking for from the quarterback spot. I don't know, but it was kind of interesting how, the, how that, like that three game span and everything that happened, like in a week's time with the injury and the trade, you know, spurred into this whole entire thing that happened in Philly, but ended with the Super Bowl and Nick Foles and, just everything that's come from it. Yeah. So, but everybody's wanting, everybody's wanting to crown the next quarterback though. Right. I mean, as a fan base, you're like, everybody's looking for that one thing that they know that can solidify their team. And that, that is a quote unquote franchise quarterback. And so whenever you see any glimpse of that, they're like, that's our guy. That's our guy. Let's lock it up. Here we go. Super Bowl run. You know, I just feel like it's almost human nature. It's hard though. Right. I mean, look at, look at the Cleveland situation. Baker Mayfield comes off his best year, his third year. He takes in the playoffs to get a playoff win. And so you're thinking like, all right, like this is our guy. Let's extend him. He, he set the touchdown record his rookie year. 
His second you know, year wasn't quite as good, but his, again, his third year, it came back around. And so you look at it and you go, all right, like this is our guy. Now, I don't know what was offered and what he turned down and, and all that, but the truth of the matter is like, that's the hard part is it almost depends on the year. It almost depends on like the health of the guy. I mean, mm-hmm. Kyler Murray, for example, you know, him and his agent were very open about <laughs> wanting that extension. And yep. you look at what he's done. Like every year he's gotten better. Every year the team's gotten better. Like every year they've moved along. They, they've taken those next steps. And so I kind of look at it and just go, well, why wouldn't you offer him the long-term deal then? Like, what are you waiting for if you're the Arizona Cardinals? Because I think most people would look at his progress and the trend and say, all right, I'm buying into this, right? Like if it was a stock that went that way and the past three years, it's, it's continually built, it's, you know, growing its revenue, it's, it's becoming more profitable, you know, all those things you say, oh, I'm, I'm buying that stock. Like, I, I mean, I don't know how you feel. I'm buying Kyler Murray stock right now. Like, I think they should extend them. Like, I, I don't think he's given them any doubts you know, as to, you know, whether or not he can continue to take that next step, you know, and we'll see how this year plays out without having D hop for the first six games. But, right. um, you know, to me that it, it, I think it's hard. I think it's hard because people want to like make, um, you know, first instinct or like quick decisions on something, but like this stuff plays out over years. And, um, and obviously, you know, I think both, I think more than ever now with the quarterback movement that we've seen, like both parties need to be happy. And, right. and I think that Deshaun Watson contract, He's going to throw a wrench in all these quarterbacks and, and their movement and, and what, and what could happen with what they can agree to. Yeah. I think, I think for Kyler's situation uh, in Arizona, I think that for the sake of not having to overpay him, if he blows up this next year, just lock him up. Now you're, you're going to get now it's, is it going to be like a huge discount if you do it now versus next year? Maybe, maybe not at least just get it done. Keep him happy. Um, Let's take that one question mark off the table and you'd get a slight discount just because of new TV contracts and, and the increase in, in the salary cap. And if he takes the team to the playoffs and he's going to have ultimate leverage right now, you can get him a little bit cheaper than you could probably in 2023. So just do it, do it. He's not going anywhere. I, if you really think he's going anywhere in, in two or three years, no. Do you want him to go anywhere? Probably not. I, I personally look at it and say, you know, it, it depends on performance. That's, that's a part of it. Right. And I think he's proven at this point in time, you know, he's, and he's performed consistently enough and improved enough where you'd say, okay, he's deserving of it. I think most organizations, and I think it started with Wentz and Goff because they signed early extensions and then the teams ended up moving on from them. But the truth is, you know, that's the more economical way of doing it. Like you can say whatever you want about the Rams paying what 21 million in dead cap, for Jared Goff's, you know, contract uh, didn't matter. They still won a Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't matter. Um, and so you can move on from these players. You can still make it work, but there's, there's no doubt it's cheaper to get the deal done sooner before they get closer to free agency. Cause then you start to look at how those numbers escalate. Like Lamar Jackson's, for example, if he plays this year under the fifth year of his rookie deal and they tag him the next two years, he will make 123 million over the next three years. Mm-hmm. And, and you look at it and say, and that's all directly going to hit your salary cap because yeah. of the way it's structured and based salary. Mm-hmm. And so the, there's no way, I mean, it's a huge cap hit. And so there's no way these organizations should allow these conversations to extend this far. Um, in the Lamar Jackson case, I don't know what's holding that whole thing up. It's crazy to think that it, he's been MVP of the league. He's been successful and it's gotten this point. They haven't, he hasn't signed a contract. Maybe I want one one. I don't know, but um, you know, someone like someone needs to, to get to him and tell him like, Hey man, you can lock in for 150 million fully guaranteed. Probably like that's, that's a pretty darn good deal. For, I think for any quarterback, let alone one that runs as much and is, has an injury risk as much as he does. Yeah. I don't know. I think you and I probably differ a little bit. I, I agree from financial standpoint that um, if you, if you feel like you're going to franchise tag the guy, then that's, that's a direct hit. You can't defer that money. You can't spread that money out. You can't put it in roster bonuses and incentives like that's, that's a real direct hit onto your salary cap. I don't know. I've watched him play several times in person. I don't think he's great. I think he's like, I think he is a, a good creator. Uh, I think the team rallies behind him. I think he has all those intangibles that you look for, but God, I've seen him throw the ball in the dirt so many times. I've seen, I've seen him overthrow receivers too many times. I've seen him very easy crossing routes be inaccurate on, on would-be first downs. There's just 
there's so much there still for me from just a quarterbacking situation that I'm like, I don't know. I just don't see it. I don't know if I would trust him. You know, it, it comes down to trust. I don't know if right. I trust him in, in a big game, you know, to make some yeah, key, key passes. I, I, I think there's still some growth there for how he plays from the pocket. There's, there's, you know, no one would deny that. I, I do think there's always been the question of like, well, what have they given him a wide receiver, you know, and, and, and has this offense truly allowed him the chance to like see what he can become and be in those, those instances. I think the the times that you you become concerned if you're a Ravens fan or where you're going to really dial in on is those two minute offenses when he's got to do it and he and, and and take out all those times when he's run or extended plays mm-hmm. and and then see really what it looks like because that kind of reveals like where he's at. Um, but you know, again, he, he's still a really young player in the league, and so I still think he can continue to grow and develop. And you know what he may lack sometimes from playing from the pocket what he brings with his running ability and athleticism surely makes up for it right now. It does. Um, I just, you know, that's not sustainable. That's the hard part is, you know, he was playing, he was a little banged up last year. Obviously Tyler Huntley had to play. And I, I think the one thing that you saw from Huntley playing was like, Oh, like he seems like he's a little more further along as far as processing with, with some of his reads, some of the throws. And yet he still had that athletic element that impacted the game. Mm-hmm. And you're like, it, it would, it would kind of be interesting to see like on a bigger scale, what that would look like. I don't think that's going to be with Baltimore, but maybe with someone else, but either way, um, you know, Lamar, Lamar has got plenty of time to be able to, you know, develop into the, the type of pocket passer I think he wants to be. Yeah. I'm guessing I'm, I'm guessing just thinking about it, the team's trying to find the best, I mean, obviously this is every situation, but the best possible deal where if it doesn't work out in, in three years and he doesn't develop, they have an easier out from his contract. Yeah. And clearly his, his agent's looking for the most guaranteed money possible, um, which is obviously a sticking point. Um, before we wrap this thing up, obviously I, I do want to talk about and get a little bit more Vikings centric. I'd love to get your kind of two minute drill thoughts on Kevin O'Connell and, and Kirk Cousins. I would start off by saying this about Kevin O'Connell. I remember hearing about him. Gosh, it might've been back when he was with the Browns. Um, but like everyone who's been around Kevin has kind of raved about him. It's just, you know, his ability to kind of be a teacher, his ability to communicate the game. And, and, and I think how he, you know, he sees it and then relates to players in that way. Um, I think that's one of those things that resonates. And I'm sure it's one of the things why, you know, he was able to be with the Rams staff, like, that's what Sean McVay looks for. That's what Sean McVay brings to the table too. Um, and I think there's a reason why when you look at the, the success of McVay at such a young age um, and how he's become a media darling, but it's because he's a great communicator. And I think Kevin O'Connell encompasses a lot of that too. Um, so, you know, for, I think people in the Minnesota market, right. Like you get to be able to around that all the time. Like it'll, it's, it'll be fun. Like it, it'll be, um, you know, it'll be refreshing, I guess, is the way to put it. Cause it's probably a stark contrast from, from what they had. And that's no you know disrespect to Mike Zimmer. It's just, he's coached, he coached football forever mm-hmm. and he comes from a different era. I think when the way he, how he handles players and probably how he handles the media. And I, I think you look at some of the younger coaches that have come uh, into the league. Now they've realized that like they can use the media to their advantage and they can use it to help kind of build up, you know, some of their brand and build up some equity for those times when things aren't going that well, where when you treat them right, like they're, they're kind of going to be more respectful of you too, you know, and they're not going to have quite as much of a, um, yeah, you know, angst or, you know, yeah. you know, their knives aren't gonna be quite as sharp when, when those tough times do come, because they will come like it's the NFL. Everyone goes to those rough patches in regards to Kirk, man. Like I just, he's as consistent as can be. I've, I've always appreciated, I think, you know, his level of, of um, just kind of preparedness and play. And just, I don't think people understand enough. Like, uh, you know, I, I don't know if his ceilings as high as Aaron Rodgers um, or, you know, and, and some of the others, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, but I'll tell you what, his, his floor is really high. Like, I don't feel like you see him have those, those games where you you're really feeling like, man, he's just losing this thing for us. There might be some times when he makes the decision that, um, you know, you feel like hurts you in that game, but he's always going to be a big reason why you're in that game or why you're winning that game, in my opinion. So I, I've, I've defended him for a long time for people who've been critical of him because I think he really does do a good job. And I think they've, they've had some things that have been missing from them for a little while. You know, it's like, 
you know, that the whole quarterback win stat gets thrown in his lap. Meanwhile, we're watching the Minnesota Vikings defense slowly just dissipate and become something that completely different than what it was four or five years ago. Right. And yet like he has to all of a sudden account for that, or it's, it's his fault because of that. I mean, you know, that, and I think arguably your, your, you know, best offensive player in Dalvin cook, you know, isn't always healthy. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard when you don't have a guy who's going to be out there for 17 games now, which may be a lot asking for any running back, but, um, and, and it's no disrespect by the way to Justin Jefferson. He's an amazing player. I just think, you know, Dalvin cook to me is still the engine that makes that whole thing go even as good as Justin is so far. Um, but I, but I do think he's like right up there with one of the best receivers in the league. So anyway, not to get off on the tangent. Um, I just, I think it's, it's, it's interesting. Like the perception of Kirk Cousins, who's financially been as, as good as anyone's ever been in the NFL. He's killed it. He's killed it. I mean, he's maximized uh, leverage at every instance, getting out of Washington and getting to Minnesota and probably should get more credit for signing a fully guaranteed three-year deal. I I thought more players would fall, fall suit. They haven't. Um, Although you look at the Watson deal and yeah, I mean, Cleveland to the best of our knowledge and sign them up for that. So uh, we'll see, depending on what punishment he gets, if it truly is fully guaranteed. Um, but yeah, I, I think Kirk's, Kirk's done a lot of good for the game, and I think he gives you a shot. Like every year, like the Minnesota Vikings are going to be in the hunt because Kirk Cousins is your quarterback. He's going to play uh, at, at a certain level, and he's going to give you a shot at, at trying to get in the playoffs and making a run. Yeah, no, it's good to hear you say that, and and I I knew that you were a, a supporter of his, but um, it's I think I feel like even in this market we have to do more pounding of the drum for him because boy, there's a lot of negativity um, about it's him. everywhere though. You know, everyone I, and, thinks- I, and I get it. It's probably I'm looking at under just a certain microscope and, and it, it's a little narrow casting when I just look at our market. It's, it is the same. Like, look, I'm sure the people, the Ravens fans are all saying the same thing about Lamar, yeah. just like we talked about same thing yeah. with Jimmy G and same thing with all the court, Zach Wilson, all the quarterbacks we've talked about. I'm sure it's, it is the same, but um, it is wild to me because I'm watching the games too. And I'm like, look guys, I think he's a top 10 quarterback. Just right. as you said it as well. Yeah. He's not a superstar like Aaron Rodgers. We get that. We have to see him twice in the division. I understand that, but he's also not, he's not shit. You know, no. he's not, he's not the 28th quarterback in the league. No, <laughs> like, like, like I've said, like, you know what you're going to get out of him every week. You know, he's going to be prepared. He's going to give you a shot. And, and that's really what you're looking for from your quarterback. You know, not every quarterback's going to have the physical traits and tools of Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen or, or Lamar Jackson and some of the others that you see. Um, and, and by the way, those are rare, right? Yeah. Like yeah. We, we go through different draft classes and you're like, yeah, you don't, you go through like a decade and you don't see players with that sort of talent or ability. So um, the fact that people, you know, can't appreciate what they have, like it, it's, it's just funny to me. I mean, and, and you see it, but again, like you always see it after the fact, like the, the guy moves on or leaves and then they go through this dip and they're just like, well, you know, now, now we're even in worse space. Now we wish we had him back. So yeah, right. it's unfortunate, but that's the life of a quarterback, man. You're very seldom appreciated um, for when you play well, you're always told when you play bad. Um, and unless you're winning a Super Bowl, it's like everyone stinks. So that's maybe that's the world we live in now, right? Like, unless, unless you're winning a Super Bowl, like you stink. Like, oh, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It is, it is a little black and white, isn't it? It, it, yeah. And it's, it's, I don't, you know, you could probably come up with a bunch of ways how we got here, but I, uh, I, I find it humorous. Like, I, I actually laugh more than ever at stuff because, I just take a step back. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense, you know? And yeah. so I'm going to laugh at it. Like if I, I wish Seinfeld was still going on right now. Cause I, I think Jerry Seinfeld would have like an entire bit about all of this and how backwards it is. and doesn't make any sense, but yeah. Yeah. What do I know? I'm, I'm within, we can, um, maybe we'll do another podcast and talk all the political things and cultural things going on, but that, that that'd be really good for both of us. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's just, I'll just say we'll just we'll just you know segue into one of those uh, the news programming or stations yeah. and all that now. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, okay, so man search for meaning and atomic habits. That's it. That's uh, that's what I'm going to pull from this podcast is um, a couple books to read. Yeah. No, they're great. And then man search for meaning isn't too long, but it's pretty deep. Uh, same thing with atomic habits. Easy read. Uh, you, you'll enjoy it. Yeah, dude. It was so good to see you. Thanks for making the time. I know. No, it was great catching up with you. Hope to see you soon. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah. All right, man. See you, bud. I'll see you. Well, everyone, that's going to do it for us here at Unrestricted. I want to thank Brady for his time. I'm telling you guys, he's 
one of the hardest working broadcasters out there right now. He just doesn't self-promote himself like other people. But you look around, you keep your eyes and ears open, and you realize this dude Brady is everywhere. And again, you can find him every morning from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern time on Fox Sports Radio on Two Pros and a Cup of Joe with Jonas Knox and LeVar Arrington. So I want to thank Brady for his time. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Boy, we had quite the love affair with the offensive lineman. Uh, It was kind of fun to get his take on that and uh, and just to rip. You know, that's what I like to do on those shows, just rip with guys. So uh, thank Brady for his time. And I want to thank you guys as the fans. You guys are the best. You guys always are stepping up. Leaving me comments on my website, benlieber.com, comments, feedback, any sort of input that I can do to make this podcast better. Thank you guys so much for subscribing, for liking, um, for hearting. I don't know what you guys call it, and for just spreading the word. So much love to you guys. And I also want to thank my sponsor. Much love to them as well. Jack's Cafe, J-A-X-C-A-F-E, jackscafe.com. If you're looking for a date night, I don't know, two people, you want to do a double date, four people, fine. You want to have a banquet or get together with 200 or 300 people. Jack's Cafe has the space and everything that you need to make your night super special. Go to jackscafe.com. Remember, they're serving steaks, not trends. And please check it out. It's historic Northeast Minneapolis. Not many people go up to Northeast Minneapolis these days to check out the history. But uh, go to Jack's, take a tour, uh, have a good date night. And remember, it's the best patio, best happy hour scenery in the Twin Cities. So thank you so much to Jack's Cafe. Uh, That's going to do it. I want to thank my good friend Dave Yeager for breaking this all down for me, putting this thing all together, polishing all of this up. Uh, He's the best. He's the man. Uh, And so, yeah. Thank you, Dave. And and here's a quick plug for Dave as well. Uh, please check out Dave's podcast that he does with uh, another friend of mine, Pat Kelly. It's uh, 80s Classics and Cocktails. Please check it out on pretty much every major podcasting platform. If you like 80s music, these two knuckleheads love 80s music more than I, I, I could ever imagine. And they're the two perfect guys to get all your 80s music in, info from. They have all the background on all the, the artists and the songs and you know who's connected to who. I mean, it's freaking crazy. And they do it while drinking some cocktails. So always a good time, always some good laughs, and you hear some great 80s music. So please check that out as well. So that's going to do it for me. Uh, thank you guys so much, and uh, we'll talk to you in the next one. See ya.